Exodus 5. This is entitled, Making Bricks Without Straw. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, And I just lost my spot. There it is. Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. I ask today that you would do a work in our hearts that we would leave this time 
of exploring your scriptures, Lord, as changed people, that we would be transformed from the inside out. And we trust this because we believe in you, Jesus, are the good preacher, the good shepherd, the good sower, and that the seed that you wish to sow and plant within the soil of our hearts is powerful and comes back bearing fruit. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to uh, open our hearts to receive what you have for us so that we can be the people you call us to be created and redeemed because of you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. This week we're heading into Exodus chapter 5 and it's about, in many ways, confronting evil and the disappointment that can come when confronting evil. I think it's so interesting that we've hit this chapter at a time in our world where there is a cry for justice against evils that we've seen, evils that are perceived sometimes, but this overall sense of things are not right, there is injustices, how do we properly respond to the injustices in the world? The question of evil is is one that people ask, and it, for many it seems there is evil in the world, how do we respond to it? How do we address it? And sometimes when we do address it, it seems like there's just more evil. We get now in chapter 5, the question or the, the picture of what happens when God addresses evil. And this is important for us to see. He will be addressing evil throughout this book, especially the first half of the book. And I think it's important for us as Christians to see what happens when evil does come, when evil is resisted, and the response we can have when things don't go the way we expect in the Christian life. So that's kind of where we're headed. So we arrive with Moses and Aaron at the, the courts of Pharaoh in Egypt. Egypt's a mighty empire. We know this. And the pharaohs are, are almost something like gods, the way they would take divine rights. So the pharaoh would be surrounded by the aura and the trappings of Egyptian temples and iconography and all of that. Moses comes in. He knows this place. My guess is he's not taken aback by what he sees. I'm sure it would have been strange to return to it. And while others may have been enamored by the facade, and the servants and the whole aura and all of what's going on. Moses knows Pharaoh's just a man. He's just a man at the end of the day. And so verse 1, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. This isn't Moses speaking just as ethnic Israel representing them. Moses is delivering a message from God. God is saying, these are my people. The people don't belong to Pharaoh. The people belong to Yahweh. And this, folks, is the heart of this confrontation. To Pharaoh, these people are his slaves to do his bidding. But that is not who they truly are. Ultimately, they belong to God. And the question for us in that exchange is, who do we think we are? Who do we think of as belonging to? Because as the people of God, as Christians, we are God's first and foremost. And that needs to be central in our lives. Romans 8, Paul tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the, the glory of God, short of living for God. We all do wrong. And in John 8, 24, Jesus reminds us that all who have sinned are actually enslaved to sin. 
And I say that to make the parallel clear that just as God is coming to rescue Israel enslaved to Egypt and take them geographically into a promised land, Jesus has come for you. And you are enslaved to your sin if you have not come to him. And he wants to take us out of the place of enslavement to sin and bring us as pilgrims into a new spiritual life, into a new promised land where we will be with God forever. John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free, if Jesus has set you free, you are indeed free. You're free indeed. And Galatians 5.1 puts it this way, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then this point, which is so good, stand firm then. Christ has set you free, but you need to stand firm in that freedom and do not let yourself be burned again by the yoke of slavery. Why would Paul say that? It's almost as though we have a choice in our being enslaved to sin or not. And of course, that's absolutely right. As much as Christ has come to free us, we have free will to choose whether to accept him and follow him or not. When times get bad and when temptations come, Paul is saying, you need to stand firm because there is a tendency to go back and enslave ourselves again to our sin. Christ came to set us free, folks. We are not to be bound by any vice or addiction. God wants you to live in the freedom of relationship with him. You are God's, not Pharaoh's. He is yours and you are his. And note Pharaoh's response to God demanding this of him. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I know lots of gods. I don't recognize this God. I have no obligation to obey him. And Moses says, please let us go. Let us worship. Give us this. Our primary identity is not in what we can do for you. It's not in our workload. Our primary identity is that humans are made for worship. Let us worship. And it's implied by the authority of the Lord that Egypt's going to be held responsible and judged for obstructing Israel's ability to worship and obey Yahweh. That's a big thing. We get to verse 4, and the king says, Why are you taking the people away from their work? They don't need to worship. They are who they are in their work. And what Pharaoh's saying here is, The people have an identity and it's in me. They have a purpose and it's slavery to me, working for me. I control them. Their purpose and identity and destiny are mine alone. See, Pharaoh craves power. He's craving the the will to dominate others, the power to control others, the power to amass an empire for his name, a power to play God, to define good and evil according to his own definitions. And there's a principle here for us. Who do we look for for our identity? And how do you answer that question? Are you consumed by your work? Are you actually enslaved to your work as Pharaoh expects the people to be enslaved to? Or are you consumed by what others say of you? Or do you look to God, your creator and redeemer, and find who you are in what he says about you? So not only does Pharaoh refuse the request, but he also gives the people more work. He's thinking they have too much time on their hands. You guys have enough time to complain and make these requests. Um, so you clearly have more time to do work. And so rather than having the straw provided to make the bricks that the slaves are making, they have to go get the straw on their own and yet somehow still fulfill the same brick making quota. Um, and this is to stop them complaining. Pharaoh says, I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to make your situation worse because you want to worship God, right? You want to worship God. You think you can get away with that. Well, I'm going to make it worse. 
So imagine this, Moses and Aaron, they finally have the courage to confront Pharaoh, right? Things are rolling now. And in their first moment of trying to do this, trying to faithfully follow God, things get worse. The situation's worse. And look at verse 10, the taskmasters and the foremen go out to the people and say, thus says Pharaoh, as direct contrast to thus says the Lord. Now Pharaoh's speaking with the same, trying to speak with the same sort of authority that God's supposed to have, that God does have. You're going to go get the straw for yourselves. And wherever you find it, go for it. But the workload will not be reduced. So the people are going around trying to find the stubble for straw and, and gather stubble and get straw and make the bricks and all of that. When Moses and Aaron had returned initially, they are, they're warmly welcomed. And now as soon as Moses tries to obey God, he's trying to be faithful. Everything goes the opposite of what he'd hoped. The people are actually suffering worse than before because Moses and Aaron are trying to faithfully follow God, right? He's trying to live for God. He's trying to obey God's calling. He's trying to listen. He's trying to be faithful. And now this happens. And here's what I think we need to hear this morning. Sometimes when we seek to follow Christ, when we seek to be faithful, things don't always go well. When a person gives their life to God and they start to try and straighten their lives out, it is often met with resistance and difficulty. It will often get worse for a season before it gets better. And this is why we need to... Uh, follow Jesus with the right motivation. We don't come to God saying, God, I'm only interested in you as long as you can kind of make me happy, <laughs> make my life comfortable and easy. Um, that's being more interested in the benefit of God than actually God himself. It's like saying to a spouse, right? I only keep you around because you do the dishes and you, you do the laundry. I kind of like how you serve me. I like the benefits I get of being in relationship with you, but I'm not actually interested in a relationship with you. And we can do that with God. It's not love. It's not a healthy relationship. And sometimes we can treat God that way. We're not actually interested in learning, as Jesus calls us, to carry the cross, carry our crosses, that there'll be a measure of difficulty and potentially suffering in the Christian life. And friends, it's so important for us to remember Christianity, being the people of God, is, is not a membership program where you kind of sign up for a social club and then you get some perks. But this is about entering into a life-giving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, coming to him by faith, repenting of your sin, believing in him that he died and rose again for you, and then receiving the gift of his forgiveness and his salvation. Um, God wants to wash us clean. He wants to fill us with his spirit so that we can then go into the world and act and live out the, the love of God, partnering with him in what God wants to do in the world. And along that way, as we encounter those that resist God, we will find difficulty. Jesus found difficulty. In Philippians 2.7, it talks about how Jesus' attitude was to empty himself, to become like a servant, even to the point of death, that he endured suffering because of his love for us. And one of my favorite hymns puts it this way. It says, here is love vast as an ocean, loving kindness as a flood, that the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. And it, it goes on at one point to say, grace and love like mighty rivers pour incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love.
And in response to what Jesus has done for us, there's a verse that's almost like the Christian singing in response to what God has done. It says, grant me all your love accepting. Grant me ever all my days to seek your kingdom only. All my life be to thy praise. You alone shall be my glory. Nothing in this world I seek. You have cleansed and sanctified me. You alone have set me free. Friends, we're enslaved like Israel, and Christ has come to set us free. Sometimes when we are living for Jesus, things don't go the way we expect. This is what Moses discovers here. And in those moments, we need to return to Christ and cling to him, choosing to seek his kingdom only, to seek him first, remembering he has cleansed us and he has set us free. So what's the lesson here is that when you seek to be faithful to God and things don't go the way you expect or you're met with resistance, don't allow that to squelch your commitment to Jesus. Do not give in to the temptation to stop trusting God or stop living for him just because you're in a time of difficulty. And I want to remind you that in those moments of difficulty, Jesus has promised to be there with us, to meet us in those moments, and to bring us through those moments. He's been through death and into new life, and he can lead us through the moments of death and into his resurrection life too. Jesus tells us that the, the good news of love, of God's love, is like seeds being planted in different types of soil. The parable of the sower. Many of you will be familiar with it. The idea is people respond to God in different ways, but the parable also highlights how there is resistance that we face when trying to live for Jesus. Just as Moses is facing resistance as he is trying to obey God. Sometimes our hearts are like a hard path. We hear the truth, but like hardened ground, we don't let the truth sink into our hearts. And the enemy comes and brings resistance and seeks to pull us away from God. And that's exactly what's playing out here in Exodus 5. Sometimes our hearts are like rocky places. We hear about Jesus and the Christian life with joy, but that life doesn't take root. We seem happy to hear about Jesus, but again, we don't let the gospel kind of sink into our hearts. And we can be reminded of, of Jesus' own experience where uh, there's great crowds that follow him, but only a few really true disciples. And on the outside, everyone looked very excited, very enthusiastic, but inwardly, many had not actually considered it. And when these people face pressures or bad circumstances, they just quickly forget God's word. Moses could have taken this route after his first encounter with Pharaoh, said, okay, uh, I'm good. I'm out. I'm out. You're, you're not listening. Uh, God's not making it easy for me. I'm done. I'm done. But here's the thing, guys. God's word never promises that life's just going to be easy without any trials. I wish I could say that, but I can't. It's not been the experience in my life, and it's not the experience in your life either. God promises, though, to do something far better, which is to say he is with us in the problems, and he will work things out ultimately for his glory and for our good. The other idea is that sometimes our hearts are like a patch of thorns. We hear God's word and and things start to get moving and we start to grow and we're starting to bear fruit. But soon we get worried with the pressures of life and the daily concerns of life. We, we wonder if maybe if we had more money, we'd be happier. If we had this or that, we'd be happier. And these wrong beliefs start to take up our time and our energy. And it's like weeds stealing the nutrients 
from the soil where the good news, where the good plant has been planted. And so what happens is we stop focusing on living for God. And then again, when the hard time comes, we walk away. And Exodus 5 is like this reminder that sometimes when you try to live for God, things will get worse before they get better, right? When we're tempted to let the thorns choke out our faith. And Jesus says the problem is not the sower, it's not the one who's preaching the word of God. It's not Jesus himself who's the problem. It's not the seed that's the problem. The good news that God loves you and he gave his life for you so you can be freed and forgiven and come into resurrection life with him forever. There's nothing wrong with that message. Um, the problem is the soil of our hearts. It's our receptivity to Jesus and his good news and what we do with that and what we allow to come and distract us from that. We have control over the attitude in your heart. You have control of that to some to some degree, perhaps to full degree. Maybe you suffer with some mental health problems and, and, and struggling with your internal thoughts and your mood is a very much a real situation for you. And I acknowledge that and I'm very aware of that. And that is something to navigate with good counseling and with a physician. But that said, for, for many of us, and even those who do and I'll put myself in that category, struggle with mental health problems, we are still responsible to seek the help in order to help retrain our minds to resist the temptation and even more so to learn to lean on Jesus when we need him. When life becomes difficult, we have the choice. We can be like the Hebrew people here and complain and turn against God, or we can be like Moses who actually turns to God in prayer. And he brings all his fears and his worries and his frustrations and his confusion and his anger and he just lays it out before God. It's, it's excellent. So folks, you will find the cares of the world will become alluring. They'll seek to distract you from God. The enemy will come and bring resistance, seeking to question your trust in God. But Jesus calls us not to turn away from him in the problems of life, but to trust him that he is there with us through it. And even when we, as we're seeking to obey, like Moses, sometimes things are going to get worse before they get better. So Moses and Aaron have experienced this terrible, I'm sure anxiety-ridden setback. But rather than pack it in at the first sign of trouble, what do they do? Verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Moses comes with just the bare bones emotion of the moment and brings it to God. Friends, when life looks hopeless, don't turn inward on yourself, but turn to God. Bring the discouragement. Bring the confusion. Bring the wonder. What God, what are you doing in this? You said to do this, and now it's worse than ever. And we can ask that to God. God, what are you doing? And God, here in this moment will explain further in chapter 6, but God is allowing this to happen in order to bring about his promise of deliverance. God's plan is to bring life and freedom and hope, but sometimes the way to that place involves struggle. It did for Jesus. He went through the garden and the cross before coming to the empty tomb. And same here with Israel and with Moses. And sometimes, folks, you will experience the reality of Good Friday on your way to knowing the joy of Easter Sunday. And if your faith is contingent on this idea that God's just always going to make it easy, you will be disappointed. I'm sorry, but you will. 
If your faith is contingent on Christians always acting the way you think they should act, you will also be disappointed. Our, my, our faith is not in our circumstances, and our faith is most certainly not in fellow Christians being faithful. Our faith and our trust is in God. My faith's in Jesus, not in fellow Christians. My trust is in God and his loving character who says to me, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the psalmist says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Notice he doesn't say, God's going to keep me out of the valley of the shadow of death. I don't even have to experience it anymore. No, no, the psalmist knows there'll be days of facing death and evil and suffering, walking through the valleys in this life. Those circumstances will come. But as followers of Jesus, we can say with the psalmist, I'll have no fear. You are with me in this moment. So Exodus 5 is this reminder of the seasons in our lives. There'll be seasons of blessing and there'll be seasons that are difficult, but Christ is, is with us and in us through all of those seasons. Notice how the people respond in verses 15 to 20. The elders of the people they choose to come to Pharaoh and cry out to him. The foremen cry out to Pharaoh. They don't cry out to God or to Moses. They actually appeal to the one who put them in slavery to try and make it better. Now, you may not have a literal Pharaoh over you. I'm, I mean, I know you don't. We're in Canada, most of us who are watching this, right? But you may have an addiction in your life or something that is as demanding of you as Pharaoh was to the Hebrews. And you may be in bondage to that thing emotionally or spiritually or, or, or physically, whatever it is. And I love how, again, referring to Reverend Guzik, who I've been uh, listening to as I prepare through this series. And he puts it this way. He says, there's sometimes a pattern in this. Whatever the thing is, sometimes we're in it. We're in our sin or we're in this addiction or we're in this kind of emotional rut that we always get into. And, and then we decide God is calling us to be free of that. And we hear it and we're like, yes, let's go. And we say to that addiction or that torment or that issue, we say, hey, I'm done, right? And then it answers back and says, I'm going to make it even worse. And what do we do? We can go right back to that sin or to that temptation. And we'll say, I'll forget who I am. Just make my life easier again. Placate me. Israel here is enslaved. They try to leave. Pharaoh makes it worse and they go back and appeal to him. Does Israel love their slavery? No. They've cried out to God. They've been groaning under their bondage. But does Israel love their slavery? Yes, in some ways. When God worked to begin to perform that act of freedom, it actually made them feel worse for a time. And they said, maybe it's better we don't do it at all. We're familiar, at least, with the suffering. I'm used to, to knowing who I am as this enslaved person. But how do I learn, relearn who I am as a free person in Jesus? Are you willing for God to work true freedom in your life today, even if that means things can get worse for a season before they get better? It may not always be that way, but that can happen. What's the bondage that you are facing it may please you sometimes, but that thing hates you, whatever that is. Look at verses 20 to 21. They meet with Moses and Aaron who are waiting for them as they're coming out from Pharaoh. And they say to them, 
The Lord look on you and judge. You've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The Israelite leaders think this is Moses and Aaron's fault. When Israel was an obedient slave to Pharaoh, hey, it was pretty good. He didn't try and kill us at least. <laughs> yeah, he did, right? Sometimes it's like they think Pharaoh will be friendly if they can just kind of win him over. And sometimes Satan is like that too. He can seem friendly, but when we start to be free in Jesus, he will try to make life difficult for us. And when Moses first got there and said, let's do it, we're going to work towards freedom, God's called us to, the people said, yep, let's do it. But as soon as there was a counterattack from Pharaoh, all the excitement's gone. And it's, it's hard. It's like they want to just give up. That to say, whatever situation you might be facing, God has a plan in it. Don't give up in the hardship. And rather than going back to something that will um, make you feel better temporarily, uh, seek Jesus, right? God doesn't just want to free Israel. He wants to transform them. And that will also mean the transformation of their hearts. And in the same way, God doesn't just want to uh, convert us. He wants to transform us. There's a work of spiritual transformation that happens. So the people are in a rough place. Moses doesn't know what to do. This is good practice for us. You don't know what to do. Moses appeals to God, as I said already, and brings the confusion and the anger all to God and lets it out. And that is such a good and honest and beautiful thing to do. And as we pour ourselves out to God, God actually starts to transform us. There may be some rough seasons in your life. You may be in a rough season right now. This wasn't easy for Moses. It's not easy for us. But let's remember this, in the confrontation of evil, there is a cost. And God, this is Reverend Guzik again, I just love this. God has taken the greatest cost upon himself when he died in our place. Jesus has won the battle. And now in our participation in that victory, Jesus is with us. And we too may face a cost, we may face difficulty, but God promises to give us strength and encouragement and grace in those moments. And we need to remember evil will be ultimately undone. And that work began at the empty tomb and it will be fulfilled when Christ returns to set our world aright. So don't allow folks a season of difficulty to turn you away from God. But like Moses, turn to him, return to him and trust in him. Uh, let him uh, build a faithfulness within you and in your heart. God wants to heal you and free you and bring you into life, but that road will involve times of struggle. Don't allow the valley of the shadow of death to make you forget that the sun won't rise again because it will. We can have hope in the moments when things don't go the way we expect because God is with us. He is faithful and he will see us through. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this word. Jesus, we are very aware, Lord, the times in our lives where we are disappointed in how life has gone, we feel sometimes lost or abandoned. And Lord, I thank you for passages like this that remind us that sometimes it does get worse before it gets better. But that, Lord, you are still faithful in those moments when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And we are surrounded by fears on every side. Or when we seek to live for you and we are met with resistance. 
Jesus, I just pray that you would encourage each one who's watching this series, who's joining us either live or later on, Lord, that that we would be in a place to surrender to you the worry on our hearts, the the issue or the resistance that we are facing. And I pray, Lord, that you would just draw near to each one, that they would know your comfort and the presence of your spirit. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you today, and maybe you are listening and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. And my prayer today would be that you would lay down that burden of your sin, of trying to do life on your own, and simply come to Christ and say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I believe in you. I believe you died for me and you rose again for me, and I want to live for you. And friend, if you have prayed that prayer, if you have decided you want to turn your life to Jesus, he says that you're now a new creation. You are a Christian. You are part of the family of God. And he wants to begin to work a new life in you. And if that is something that you would desire to know more about, do feel free to contact me and contact the church. We would love to get together with you and disciple you and grow with you in this journey together in Christ. Lord, for those of us who have maybe walked with you for many years, but we are going through struggles right now, we just say today, Lord, we want to look to you. We want to, like Moses, turn uh, to you in prayer, even in the midst of our brokenness, and bring that to bear towards you. Um, And Lord, I just pray for each one with the task at hand that they have been called to engage with, perhaps the cross that they have been called to bear in this season, that, Lord, you would show yourself faithful. Remind us, Lord, that you have got us. You will work things out for your good and for your glory. And you love us. You are a good shepherd, and we can put our faith and our trust in you. So today, Jesus, we just say we love you, and we pray that you would help us to continue to walk with you um, with faithfulness and obedience and love, uh, both today and this week and in, in our lives ahead. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, friends, thank you again for joining us today for Church Online. Um, Hope you've been blessed by this service. Again, we are starting to open up uh, the church for public corporate worship gatherings. Again, we have a 9 a.m. service, 11 a.m. service, as Brian would have just mentioned, I'm sure. And uh, let us know on Thursdays. Phone us. Let us know ahead of time. Phone the church here and talk to one of us on Thursdays if you want to come to one of those services. We have slots for up to 50 people, and we've made some room so that if someone shows up last minute, of course, you're welcome to come. We have some wiggle room in there to get to our 30% capacity. So encourage you, again, if you are feeling ready to, and no pressure to, but if you're feeling ready to come and gather again, you're welcome to uh, the 9 or the 11 uh, 11 service. Uh, We are going to continue to do church online as well because this is an important outreach and I know there are some who are watching who aren't from Dryden and we just want to bless you and thank you for joining us today and pray that uh, you have been encouraged in your walk with God or maybe you're seeking him and you don't really know about this whole Christian thing but I pray today has been a a positive and encouraging moment for you as you consider um, what you believe and who you are and, and what God's all about. And love to talk to you more about that if if that's something that you are working through right now. Uh, as per our practice or my tradition anyway, I love to send you off with the blessing of the benediction. So friends, children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, may you choose to seek God's face in the moments where it is difficult. May you look not to your sin or your addictions for comfort, 
but instead look to the good shepherd who loves you and gave his life for you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Friends, I do love you. Go in peace. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.